They say patience is a virtue, that ability to wait for something without frustration. It could be a useful skill as a parent or even with your spouse or partner. But does patience have a place in business? Let's find out. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to episode 84 of the Love in Action podcast, the show by leaders for leaders designed to make your business and workplace be both good for people and for profits. Today, we're doing something different. If you're a regular listener, you already know the whole reason why we do this podcast. You know, it's to bring forth to the world this idea that love works. Love in the practical sense, in a business sense, that when we demonstrate love and how we care for others in the workplace, how we treat each other and take care of one another while doing business, the business will not only take care of itself, the business will thrive, plain and simple. So for this episode, and probably future episodes as well, I'm going to experiment with having a post-conversation conversation. Sort of like, you know, after a football game, you have the post-game show where two analysts provide expert commentary on the game. Well, we're going to do that here for the first time today to extend the conversation. So I was thinking about who should I bring as this post-game co-host of mine? And you know what? It was not a hard choice. I'm going to be joined by a rising star in the executive coaching and speaking world, Kelly Merbler of the Kelly Merbler Company. Kelly and I have shared stages together. She's a fireball and her insights are going to add a lot to the show. So don't go anywhere after my interview with today's guest. Kelly and I are going to be bantering back and forth with our first post-conversation commentary. Today, we are exploring the topic of patience. Now, if you come from the Christian worldview, you're probably aware that patience is a virtue that many Bible writers talk about, right? It's spoken about in marriage ceremonies when you hear the priest or pastor mention that love is patient, love is kind, etc. You know, we tell our kids at the time when they complain, are we there yet? To wait and be patient. And what I've always known but never discussed on this podcast until now is that patience is a leadership powerhouse that has been recognized in literature. It's certainly counterintuitive. I mean, we don't walk around our hallways and our offices modeling patience for our employees. In fact, we convey just the opposite. We value a sense of urgency. You know, we learn to thrive under pressure. Entrepreneurs are told that they need to break things. So we put these unrealistic deadlines on ourselves and our employees, and we cause unnecessary stress in the lives of people. So my guest today, well, he's conducted research on the leadership practice of patience, and he's here to tell us about what he found. He recently published an article in the Harvard Business Review that caught my attention, and the whole reason why he's here today. That article, which I will put in my show notes, is entitled Becoming a More Patient Leader. Dr. David Sluss joins us today. David is Associate Professor of Organizational Behavior at the Georgia Tech Scheller School of Business. David's work has been published in numerous places, including the Academy of Management Journal, Journal of Applied Psychology, and others. He works with organizations throughout the world, including Cisco Systems, Coca-Cola, Google, and IBM. Now, before I bring him in, let me quote David in that HBR piece. Listen to this. Leading effectively, especially during a crisis, takes patience. If you can't retain your composure in the face of frustration or adversity, you won't be able to keep others calm. Solutions to new challenges usually take time to put into practice. However, writes David, in my work teaching and coaching high potential leaders, I have seen that many just don't have the patience and don't know how to find it. They want quick fixes and can't wait for strategies to take hold. This tendency, David says, 
is only reinforced by our agile digital work world, which seems to prize hyperspeed. Wow. David now joins us to unpack his findings on patience. Let's join the conversation right now. Welcome, David, to the Love and Action podcast. Thank you. David, I want to start with why you decided to do this research. I mean, why now? I want to get to what did you set out to find out about patient? What specifically did you want to discover? Sure. So my, my two connections were, as we think about leaders and as, as researchers and also practitioners, we have the basic dichotomy of leaders can be very task-focused, very relational-focused. And as I thought more and more about patients, I saw how it goes across both these sides. So patients doesn't, just doesn't help the one that's more facilitative or participative as a leader or that's more visionary or task-focused. It's really helping across both. So the idea is how can patients amplify the already positive effects that we know are already there when we're good at being a visionary leader or we're good at being a participative leader? And so I set out sort of to say, okay, let's see if we can, if it's amplifying. And then I had to say, well, what is it going to amplify, right? And as you look across what we're interested in, whether it's leaders or individual contributors, is that we're producing, you know, we have job performance, that we're being creative, and that we collaborate with others, right? Those Mm. three big outcomes. And so very simple hypotheses of saying, okay, patience is going to moderate what we would say moderate or interact, where it will amplify raise what's already a positive relationship between these two basic leadership approaches of being task-focused, relational-focused on being creative, collaborative, and productive. Okay. So I love that, that you, you basically gave us the, the advantages right there, you know, creative, mm-hmm. collaborative, and productive. So talk to us about the difference that patients made in, in each of those three. Sure. So in the Harvard Business Review article, you know, talks through how it amplifies. What's really interesting when you look, when you dig into the results, it's actually a little bit more provocative than that. Basically, without patients, there is no relationship mm. between being a visionary leader or what I call futurist leader and being a facilitative or participative leader on those outcomes, where you need patients to actually make the the leadership approach work, right? Yeah. Um, which makes a lot of sense, right? Where if I'm if I'm going to be given a vision, I can be communicating that vision really well and 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 so forth. But as it goes along, if I start getting impatient with those, they just not getting it, and I start coming in and not not very calm about it, then then all of a sudden that wonderful buzz that goes around being futurist leader goes away. And so we saw that I saw that in the data. So, okay, okay. You said that you investigate the task side of a leader, and what's the other side of a leader again? So relational, okay, relational. So, so, so explain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dive into those two areas of being a leader, and then correlated to patience and how patience helped both areas. So for me, you know, leadership roles or leadership approaches are behavioral. Yeah. So a lot of times we'll talk about leadership styles as someone our personality, sort of our. Yeah, so we all have a whole base. We may be more task-focused than relational, where others might be more relational than task. However, we need to be both to be effective. And every situation calls for a little bit of a leaning towards task or a little bit of a leaning towards relational. So overall, a futurist leader or a more visionary leader is going to be, here's the vision. This is where we're going. And I'm going to help you get committed to that vision. So I'm relying on some relational behaviors to get you on board. But when the rubber's the road, it's the, it's the task that I'm focusing on. Where a, a, facilita- a facilitator or facilitative leader or a participative leader is going to approach it saying, okay, what do we want to do together? Let's come to consensus about where we want to go, right? And so the yeah. focus there, the emphasis is more on, on the relational behaviors. Now, you're still going to focus on the task where you can't let them spend forever on creating that consensus. So you have to guide them along to get to that consensus to move them forward. Right, right. What's a good example of being task-oriented as a leader, according to you? What would that look like? Okay. So you come in, you're, I mean, there's all different types of options. So on on the edges, you have more of the extreme. So just with being, having this mix of 
task and relational. So on the on and on the future side. So leaning more on task. An example would be okay, someone brings up another possible avenue or a, an alternative vision, right? So a, a task focused leader would say, "Wonderful, we've already we've already talked about this. This is the vision where we're going. How do you see that lining up with the vision that we already have?" So that's focusing on the task. Where on the other side, the participant leader would say, this is a great idea. Now, let's see, how can we change our where we're going to include that, to incorporate that? Okay, okay. So you just gave an example of how, is that an example of patience in action? Could be, right? Okay. I mean, I, I, think, I think as I've been, you know, diving a little bit more in, into this, uh, you know, the idea of patience, the way it's defined Currently, let's say in what we call the literature, some positive psychology, sort of the, where this comes from, is this propensity to wait calmly in the face of frustration or adversity. One of the things I've been dealing with a lot is, is that the verb wait. Yeah. And, and I, I think I'd rather say the propensity to act calmly in the face of adversity or, or frustration, right? And that's, that's patience within leadership. You're still acting, right? You're still engaging, you're still doing things, but you're doing things calmly in the face of frustration and adversity, right? Okay, yeah. I just want to drill down a little more on mm-hmm. the collaboration piece, okay? Because okay. that, to me, is so crucial now. I mean, my goodness, we are, most of us are working remote now. We've had to reinvent what collaboration looks like, where in the past it was, you know, you're in the same room, engaging face-to-face, there's that buzz, there's that synergy. Mm-hmm. Now, you got to, Figure out how to collaborate in over over the phone, computer screens, via um, apps, etc. Right. So, tell us about how does a leader exercise patience so that it increases collaboration. Yeah, I, I think what you hit on, which is really good, is that when you're in the same room, there's a buzz, mm-hmm. there's an energy, and you're doing what a lot of people would say is a reciprocal interdependence. Right. So you're <laughs> you're going back and forth, you're interacting necessarily because of technology and the way we're working currently, getting that reciprocal interdependence is a lot harder now. Yeah. So it's more sequential, right? So I do something and I pass it off to you and you do something and pass it back to me and I do something and pass it back to you. Now, this isn't the only project I'm working on. I'm working on 10, 12, 15, 20, 30 projects. Now, all of a sudden, I have this constant starting and stopping back and forth versus getting together in one room and hashing it out an hour and a half. And you've made what in reciprocal independence, in reciprocal would take is taking an hour and a half, where sequential is going to take days. So now you have this context rife for patience, right? Uh, rife for impatience, let's say, right? Where, okay, I'm done with this task that I, I just handed off back. I'm waiting for Marcel to send it back. Ah, right? So there's the adversity. There's the frustration. Now, what do I do that, at this point? Right? Do I just twiddle my thumbs? Right? So I, do I wait calmly? That's why I think I like the definition of acting calmly, reaching back out. Right? So now collaboration is a lot more sequential, and it's dyadic too, where collaboration, you could say before, is, is more, more than two people. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, with Zoom and, and, or whatever you're using, we're getting better at doing this and having meetings and hashing it out. But where I, I think currently is, is dealing with that sequential back and forth and having patients waiting calmly. So what does that look like behaviorally? You can still reach out and say, Hey, just want to check in with you, right? Not checking up, check in. How's it going? What's going on in your world? So now we've put a lot of personal on top of the professional that we have to add. So I think that's part of patients too is being willing to actually know where what's going on in this person's life because home and work is all enmeshed now. And now you're getting to the next step. By the way, I'm ready to work on this. Where are you with it? Allow me to sort of plan what I need to do next. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and you've, you've been calm. There is adversity and frustration, but that person is, is seeing you as calm and we're working through it versus, Hey, where are you with this? I need to get on this. And now you've just created even more angst where they might've had a bad morning getting the kid onto their own Zoom with first grade or whatever it is. And 
So hopefully that gives some behavioral descriptions around. Hmm. He did. He did. So I want to make sure that we don't miss anything, though, as far as what patience does. We know how, what it does to collaboration. What about creativity? How does that enhance or increase creativity? So let, let's, let's riff on what we're already dealing with, which is, you know, this idea of working from home, right? And reciprocal interdependence obviously is huge for creativity. The more, the more back and forth, I mean, think about design thinking, you're getting together back when we could get together and you're putting all the post-its on the wall and having that wonderful zzz, right? That comes yeah, from yeah. putting these ideas together. So now it's much more sequential. It's harder to think let's say it's harder to build ideas by ourselves. So let, let me actually, let me talk about one of the major findings from creativity research. It's been around for a long time. As we think about brainstorming, as we get a group together, we express our ideas, we build and piggyback, and we come up with a wonderful solution. But how many of us have been to brainstorm meetings where we leave, scratch our head, wondering what the heck did we just do? Right. right? And so one of the very easy things we can do to improve brainstorming is we actually, the individual we get individuals to come up with the ideas by themselves, right? And then we put all those ideas into one big pile. Research shows over and over and over again, this is way back from the 60s, that that's going to get you more ideas than the team sharing ideas in the same amount of time. Mm. Because each individual is unfettered. They're in their own channel. They're not censoring themselves, right? You're in a team. You, you share an idea maybe you keep it back because it's too weird, right? You're going to be judged for it. Or, you know, the weakest link, we're only good as our weakest link when we're sharing ideas as a team, right? Where someone puts the idea out there and it falls like a lead balloon, right? Right? Takes the energy out of the room. We're not, we're not evaluating the idea, but we're judging, right? So now by individuals, they can go deep and you put them all together. Research will show over and over again, you'll get lots more ideas from compiling individuals. So that's design thinking. That's the mm. basic root. So how, where does patience come into play? Well, I think now especially is having patience with folks who, you know, acting calmly in the face of adversity frustration is did maybe they didn't come up with as many ideas as you thought they should have, right? So one way to be patient is maybe blind to that. Is there, we can use lots of technological tools to compile those ideas together, let people go and look at them over time, let it incubate, maybe even a little bit longer than you did before. And that allows for this anonymity. It's a, at the team level, there's this calmness in the face of, yeah, we have a crisis, we need to be creative, but we have time to, you know, we have time to get this right. Yeah, yeah. You know, it all sounds so counterintuitive, David. And yet, Mm -hmm. you say that uh, it leads to more productivity. Maybe that's the uh, sort of the bringing it full circle for, mm-hmm. for doubters and skeptics out there. I mean, this, it, you're, you're saying that patience actually leads to more productivity, not less, because people tend to think if we slow down, we become patient, you know, the, the, yeah. the flow of the business slows down. And yeah. so we equate that to mean that we're not being as productive. Yeah. So, so I, I think a couple of things to remember is it, patience is active, right? So that's why, again, I, I'm really one, I would really want to define it as acting calmly in the face of adversity, not waiting calmly. It's acting calmly, right? Gotcha. And an example for as when this is around late April, so well, mid-April, a lot of the companies were, yes, they were locking down, but some of them hadn't really fully moved to work from home. So an engineering, research engineering firm, so this is an example from someone I was interviewing around sort of getting my head around what is patience and how does that look from a leader, et cetera. And so, so my managers demonstrate patience by understanding that each individual contributor is dealing with personal hardship during this time. Our work remains a priority at my job. However, my manager specifically allowed each contributor to speak with him one-on-one to address any concerns. And he has allowed us to relax some deadlines and other constraints that aren't normally allowed to be relaxed. So this is maybe counter to the, the blanket idea of patience means we slow down on everything. What patience, I think, would mean is you say, okay, let's prioritize. What is it that is core to what we need to do? We're going to keep driving here, but because of what's going on around us, or we need to just you know, go slow to go fast, 
we need to prioritize, repurpose, and we might have to, in times of crisis, relax some deadlines, but the manager didn't relax all the deadlines, right? He wasn't saying, okay, I'm just going to hang, hang back and wait, and eventually we'll get this done. We're still going to work. We're still going to move forward, but we're doing it in a calm fashion, right? Yeah. Um, so... That's good. That's good. Yeah, man, you're really making me think. And I know uh, I know a lot of us listening right now are going, ha, ah, yeah, so there is action behind patience. But it's, it's the kind of action, like you said, you slow down to speed up. Speaking of, you have an example in that great HBR article where you, uh, you mentioned how, how the U.S. Navy SEALs have redefined the meaning of speed. Tell us about that. The idea is that they take, they have a critical mission in front of them. They one, they take a lot of time planning that mission. Okay. So in the sense of that's a that is a slow as smooth and smooth as fast, where okay, we're gonna make sure we are planning this out as much as we can. Now when you're in execution mode, then it is smooth. So there it's we're gonna move forward, we're gonna use muscle memory, and we're we're thinking of smoothness as fast. So I think all these principles come together to say when we're deliberate, when we're acting calmly, when we're repurposing, making sure we're, we're focused on a purpose, we're reprioritizing at times, that's going to allow us to go faster in the end. Can I yeah. share one more? Let me share one more quote, and hopefully I can, I can do it by memory. I don't have it in front of me. So an actuary, uh, so a statistician that I was interviewing said that, her manager was a car buff. And the, the metaphor that, that this car buff manager uses, look, accuracy is our nitro booster, right? So get it right. If you're, if you're accurate, then it's, gonna, it's going to speed us up long-term. We're going to have less mistakes later. And so that's a leadership reframing sort of what it means to go fast by being deliberate, right? Being purposeful, et cetera. You know, what comes up for me, David, is that in my world, as I coach leaders, I see them doing exact, exactly the opposite. They don't act deliberate and they don't act calmly. They act hastily, hastily and impulsively, mm-hmm. which down the line translates to bad decisions being made, which affects people, you know, below chain of command. So is this kind of like another way of saying, you know, it's okay to act on your decision instead of sitting on your, you know, on your thumbs, as they say, but don't do it impulsively. It's being able to process, process your thoughts. Mm-hmm. There's still, you can still act with quickness and speed, but at least it's getting to the point where you maybe seek different views and perspectives from others in the room in order to make an informed decision and then act fast because mm-hmm. now you can do it by doing it smartly and not impulsively. I, I agree with you completely. I mean, the other thing that, that makes patience fun for me as a researcher and a, is that it's, it's complicated, right? And it's, it's not just how we think. It's not just how we behave. It's also how we feel, right? So what usually leads to the impatience is, is this impulse, a lack of impulse control, mm-hmm. right? Where we think we've been waiting, right? We haven't acted calmly. We're just waiting. We're waiting. We're not doing anything. And we're, we're so we want to act and now it just, it blows, right? And we move forward with, without, without control. Now, something else we learned since it is emotional, there's a lot of research around what's called emotional contagion. So the emotions that we feel as we get in, even if it's Zoom and we're talking to someone, but if we're communicating, the emotion that we are giving off is going to be contagious to the other person. So, you know, if we're, if we're really, if we're ang- maybe angry inside, it's going to be contagious. If we're really anxious and worried about something, and that's what's creating this impatience, also now we're increasing anxiety and stress in the other person. Now, why does that matter? That, you know, some people say, well, fight or flight, they're going to they're gonna focus on it. What we do also know from a lot of psychological research is the more anxiety and stress we feel, the more narrow we're able to, we we sort of see options. We can't broaden out our view and, and pick up on lots of different options. It gets narrower and narrower. So if we're increasing that stress and anxiety in others, because we're impatient, that, that emotion is contagious to others, now we've reduced their productivity. 
right? We've mm-hmm. reduced their creativity. Now they're going to take that stress and pass it on to someone else, right? Yeah. We all have the example of, you know, kick the dog, right? We come in and that poor dog gets, gets the brunt of the day, that, of the stress that we had during. So they might go into their next Zoom call with the person they're working on and going, okay, why aren't we moving on this, right? And it's just a vicious, vicious cycle. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, I would wager that if, if you're going to exercise patience in the workplace where you spend the majority of your day, you're probably also going to reset or re- kind of retrain your brain to be patient at home as well. So you don't kick the, the mm-hmm. dog and yell at the kids. Am I correct? I, yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> okay. Yep. Oh, I love this. So are there any other strategies that will boost a leader's patience? Yeah. So, you know, in the article, I talk about mainly two, right? So this idea of gratitude and this going slow to go fast. Uh, There's lots of other fun strategies that, again, it's patience is cognitive, is behavioral, is emotional, right? So one that I think is fun is we at times tend to make time human, where time becomes a, a person almost, right? So old father time, you know, even for Harry Potter fans out there, Dumbledore said, mysterious thing time, powerful and when meddled with, dangerous, right? So as we imbue or anthropomorphize time as a, that's a person that's sort of whipping us to get things done, then that becomes this powerful thing out there, right? So if we conceptualize time as human, we'll start, we'll start making that more important than other folks, right, and individuals. And that leads us to be impatient. So basically, it is a no, right? A strategy is don't make time human. Or, you know, think about are there things I'm doing that I'm conceptualizing time as this human thing? If I'm constantly checking my watch, does it feel like someone's looking at me, right? Is my watch looking at me? I'm now anthropomorphized my watch and I will start being less patient with others. Patience can be persistent too. So, you, you know, part of patience is is being persistent in what you're doing, again, calmly. So you don't keep raising your voice, you, you, know, you just keep going forward. So one example from a, someone that works in a big box home sort of hardware retailer was reporting to me how the manager just walked the aisles of this is the beginning of when people could come back to stores and just reminding them of using masks and just consistently, patiently reminding them of using masks, et cetera, and keeping distance. Another is this is comes from um, psychology rehabilitation. So this is a pretty sort of serious context where peer support. So these are staff that provide peer support, for those that are recovering from some something. And the quote is, I keep pushing them. And when they give up, I still push them because everybody has those days when they don't want to take their medicine. They don't want to get up and go. So they're still being patient. They're going to push. They're going to be persistent and saying, hey, you need to take your medicine, right? So we think about as leaders, what's the medicine that there's various types of medicine that we have to take. And there's times when we have to understand, okay, they're having one of those days. They just need us to keep pushing them, not not yelling loudly. It's just calmly keep persistently moving them along. So I think that's another strategy behavioral-wise, right? So one cognitive, one behavioral and, and we talked about the emotional and, and the article around gratitude helps with the emotions around it. Yeah, that's great. Because in, in keeping your troops calmly and moving them along, it, to me, that speaks to providing constant direction so that the troops aren't losing their path. They mm. always know where they're going because mm. they have a leader right there. That's kind of holding not not so much holding them by the hand because we want them to be independent and make their own choices and own their work. but. But there's a leader there that sets direction and makes sure that they are moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. And, and or, you know, so that, that's either and either setting the direction or providing a process by which you're co-creating that direction, right? There you Everyone go. Everyone understands it and moves forward, right? Okay. So speak to the, maybe the CEO that's totally bought into this idea of, we, oh man, we want our culture to, uh, to be more patient. Or even the, the manager of a team. How can a leader design a team for patients? So I think at the team level, then you're thinking about processes, right? And so two, two things come to mind. First, and it, it, this is 
coming from how a leader can be more patient. One is prioritization. So can you build into your team processes where you're checking in? So in agile processes, for example, built into all different flavors of agile is you have these stand-ups, right? So you have this stand-up at the beginning of each day, where are we with this project, et cetera. What I would suggest is you have a sort of relational stand-up. You're taking the time, you know, once a week or maybe it's once a month to say, how are we doing with each other? How, How are our processes working? It allows us to go slow, to go fast, right? It's implementing a couple of the principles here. We're acting calmly. So we may have had some big uh-oh, but here's, here's where it, it brings some advantages. If let's say it's weekly, so it's, and you're going to have it on Friday and Wednesday, Marcel, you did something that oh, got me a little frustrated, but I stopped myself because I know on Friday, we're going to be able to openly talk about this and improve it for next week. So now instead of, instead of me not waiting calmly or maybe acting impulsively and going and getting a little bit upset or trying to keep it in, but I'm like passive aggressive with you. I wait a couple days, actively wait, and Friday we have a, a way to talk it through, right? So that's sort of relational stand, the relational stand-up meeting type idea. The other is from a task side is you'd want to design processes to consistently reprioritize, right? So which projects are most important? Do we need to deprioritize some of these. So again, you're making sure your purpose is constantly being adjusted, right, as you go along. And this is a, very much so in the context of a crisis too, where, where some of those things that in normal ways we could be going full, full bore in a crisis, we have to back off just a smidgen. So we have to really reprioritize in that, in that case. David, is too much patience bad? In other words, if you're in the waiting mode, when do you stop waiting and just push a team to just get stuff done? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think my answer hopefully doesn't sound too like I've drunk the Kool-Aid, but is you don't want to wait. Patience is you actually would go and follow up, but you're, you're doing that follow-up calmly. Gotcha. Right? So regulating your emotion. Again. It's yep. got to be, you have to, patience has to be around action, not yep. waiting. Yep. Yeah. Mm. And so it's, it's going questions. Where are we checking your assumptions at the door? Especially when, when you've moved from that, I'm waiting. Okay. I've had enough. I mean, we've all had that experience. We're typing, I'm done. This is when we worked in, in the same location. We get up from our cubicle again from our office and go storm over to the other office. We're making all these assumptions about why they haven't done what they said they were going to do. Right. So one way, if we're going calmly, we're probably, Maybe be more mindful about it, saying, well, let me ask some questions. Where are we with this? I've been, be honest, I've been waiting on this. Where are we? What can I do to help? Let me know the situation so we can move forward, right? So mm-hmm. now, now you're, you're, you're doing all those things that you need to do to be patient, and it's also moving things forward. Mm-hmm. So I think where the too much patience is a problem is when you're waiting and you let that waiting turn into frustration. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's so obvious to me, David, how much this idea of patience, how much has to do with the emotional side of of leadership, checking in with your feelings, self-awareness, understanding what's going on, not only with your emotions, but those, the emotions of those around you, you know, empathy, and having the emotional intelligence to understand different perspectives and challenging your own assumptions, right? So it's, it's amazing to me that it just dawned on me that patience is not necessarily just something that you, you do. It's really how you think sometimes, how you manage your emotions. I mean, we talked about impulsiveness control, I think, was what you mentioned. In other words, self-control, right? And how much that plays into when you change how you're thinking about a certain thing and before it gets to you to that point where now you're angry and now anger is going to turn into... A, explosion, check with your feelings and find out why am I feeling this way? Maybe mm-hmm. there's something underneath that is more of a core root issue that you need to resolve and take care of or have closure around. And I think that all speaks to patience to me. Mm-hmm. And, and also too, there's many times where that emotion starts before the thought process starts, right? Oh. And that's, I think, where a lot of us have, have 
either practicing it or we've obviously heard of it by now is mindfulness, right? So part of the mindfulness practice is, is that you are getting more and more in tune with when your neck tightens. Oh, my neck's just tightening up. What's going on? And you don't, it's not conscious yet, but something is triggering it, right? We were pretty complex machines and we have, we have very sensitive mechanisms that pick up on things that might be happening around us that we don't even think about yet that's creating the stress and anxiety that then will eventually turn into mm, patients. Yeah. And the question is always, are we actually listening to those mechanisms? Right. When, when the little alarm goes off, are you actually listening to it while it's still faint before it starts to blast in your ear, right? Because then it's probably too late. You've already acted out of some uh, unmet emotional need. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I love that, that you, that you mentioned that we have to check in with ourselves and we have to question why, what's going on here? Why am I feeling the way I am right now? Well, you certainly touched on um, quite a few things that lend to a, uh, the practice of leadership love, which is why we do mm-hmm. this podcast, you know, yeah. and the theme of it based around practical love, the that love in action is, is a, a verb that inspires and motivates and, and empowers other people to flourish. So my question to you is, how does a leader love well in business day in and day out? Leading others is relational. Yeah. We, you know, a leader cannot be a leader without a follower. A follower cannot be a follower without a leader. Philosophically, talk about that forever, Right. And in PhD seminars, we do, right? Four hours we could spend just talking about that idea. But, but the idea, if, if it's relational, then it's two people. And so a leader needs to think about and take in, okay, I am responsible to get things done. That's one view. But is the leader also responsible for the people that are getting those things done? Mm. And so I, I, th- I think that's sort of the conduit that, that love might be that verb, right? So, I mean, love, it's not romantic love, right? It's, its am I respecting this person? I, I, the way I think about love and work, right, would be, am I holding this person? So, there's a really great concept from, from counseling psychology and psychiatry of holding someone. So, you hold them. The idea of holding them is, do you understand their full perspective? Do you understand where they're coming from? And when you do that, you start having a respect for them. And that respect you know, I think turns into filios, right? Turns into that sort of brotherly, sisterly, uh, if we can use that term, but that type of connection. That's the way I would think about it. That's great. That's great. So we end our episodes with two final questions. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like us to know? Another area I'm very into is resiliency, right? So resilience, how to get, how to be more resilient and how to help others be more resilient. And one of the fuels for resilience is collaboration, right? And can you ask yourself the question, okay, I have a problem. Who in my network can help me and reach out? And now you're not only helping the task, but right now you're helping yourself just connect with someone. You're helping someone else connect, getting human, human interaction, which a lot of us are starving for right now. That's great. So, That's great. And finally, you get to end this episode your way with that one thing, that final takeaway that you'd like to close us with. Sure. So when you hear be more patient, it's not waiting. It's active. It's strategic. It is emotional. So make sure you you check in with your emotions. It is active. That you just gave me my hook line for this podcast. So I I tip my cap to you for that one. (laughs) Okay. It has been a great conversation. You have boosted my total understanding of uh, patience and you've taken it to a whole new level. So uh, I thank you for your wisdom, sir. Thank you. David, if people want to connect with you and get to know more about you, where do they go? So a couple of different ways. So LinkedIn is probably the most active way. Just David Sluss LinkedIn. The other way is david.sluss at a3 leadership. So A is an alpha three, the number leadership, all one word.com. And those are two easy ways to get in touch with me. And I'm going to put in the show notes, the link to the Harvard Business Review article that David wrote. Please click on that and read it. My special thanks to David Sluss for joining us today. And thank you, Love and Action Nation, for being here and spreading 
the movement. We'd also be grateful if you could share it with others. Visit the archives to the show and dig into other great conversations with the world's top thought leaders. And you can find them on my website at marcelschwantes.com. Finally, if you or your company would like to sponsor episodes of the Love and Action podcast, let's chat. You can reach me on my website or hit me up on LinkedIn or email me personally at marcelschwantes at gmail.com. Next week, I sit down with Michael Kanick to discuss his new book, Ruthless Consistency. Until then, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Try it and be convinced. So I mentioned that I'd bring in my good friend and colleague, Kelly Merbler of the Kelly Merbler Company for this new segment where we talk about the conversation we just had and provide you with some extra insights and offer our expertise and thought leadership. And we hope this is going to enrich your experience of the podcast. And as we continue the conversation post-conversation, Kelly, hello. Hey, Marcel. Good to be here with you. <laughs> Likewise. Always good to see you. So a quick intro to our listeners. Tell us about who you are and what you do. Oh, gosh. Thank you, Marcel. I, uh, I am an executive coach and a keynote speaker. I, I truly have a passion for developing leaders and helping them just be the best version of who they are meant to be. And so that's where I spend a lot of my time and love speaking at conferences to kind of connect with an audience and you know, just drive inspiration as best as I can. So it's great to be here. I'm in West Palm Beach, Florida. That's where I live and reside. And I love speaking and doing workshops in conferences with Kelly because we have actually tag team in the past as well. And she's a rock star. I can vouch for that. It's always a, such a, a treat to share a stage with you, Kelly. Thank you. So, okay, I'm curious. I mean, you heard David. What were your first impressions? I mean, patience? Seriously, do we, does that work nowadays? Honestly, if we looked in the dictionary, Marcel, and the definition of patience, you would not see my photo. <laughs> <laughs> like the whole mindset of being more patient is really something I have to work at as a leader. But uh, David got my, my juices flowing and uh, I look forward to this conversation to kind of break this down. But patience is not my biggest gift and it's something yes. I really struggle with. Mm -hmm. What about it is it that you struggle? I mean, what is it? What's struggling about patience? Just naturally, you know, one of my strengths is I'm, I am an activator is what mm -hmm. we call it. And I have a high sense of urgency. So I want to get to... I want to get things started and I want to get moving forward. I, I like that momentum. So when patience comes in, it just takes me off that natural flow that I have within of creating momentum because it makes me, it makes me slow down. Mm. Where I fight against it. So it's really hard for me to practice. Yeah. yeah. You know, David mentioned something that was interesting. So we think about patience is is that we need to always act, act, act. And he's not saying that we need to wait, wait, wait. Remember, he talked about how, let me see here, if I, can, I actually wrote it down, Kelly. Patience is the propensity to wait calmly in the face of adversity. David redefines that from a leadership standpoint to, that we need to act calmly, not wait, to act calmly in the face of adversity or frustration. So in other words, he says, go slow to go fast. Slow down. To speed up. I mean, what do you think about that? It's very accurate. I mean, when I look at how, when I do self-reflection or when I do like those moments of slowing down and really looking inward at what do I need to change? What do I need to adjust to move the process forward? If I don't do that, that for me could be very bad in a sense, because I, I do jump to conclusions faster than the average person typically, but it is not about not taking action. That's what I really liked how he said that. It, it leads to more productivity because we're just being more thoughtful in how we take action. And that's the thing. It's just slowing down to be more thoughtful in what's the best way to take that action. Mm, mm. That's good, Kelly. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mentioned, and this just keeps popping up for me, is that the lack of patience draws you into more impulsivity because mm-hmm. the tendency is to go, go, go fast, fast, fast. You got to break things. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, the sense of urgency. I mean, even when I was in, in sales back in the 90s, I was a recruiter. I was a headhunter. Patients will not have worked in that environment. No way. <laughs> no way. Yeah. That's yeah. the same environment I came from too. And this is what I, I, I noticed he said as well is it's a buzzkill that if we don't act with patients, that it is a buzzkill. And I can think of many examples in my leadership where I just wanted to go, go, go instead of being thoughtful in how we went forward. And literally, it, it's you've got to meet people where they're at. And not everybody is wired by that go, 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 where they need us as leaders to meet them where, we're, where they're at, to think about, well, how are we going to get there? And what's the best way? And so that's where the buzzkill comes in, where if I'm just moving people to go, 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 but not really being thoughtful in that process, then, you know, it's always like that trigger finger. Like, we're not thinking through the best plan of action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, David says that we need patience to make the leadership approach work. If I start getting impatient with people, my ability to lead, he said, to give people a vision and facilitate that vision for the team, it goes away with impatience. You know, I can't think of a, a more detrimental thing than losing your patience because then all, other, all kinds of other emotions can, can kick in, anger, resentment, right? And those are all things that actually break trust, at least by my book, because I've seen it. I've seen clients lose trust and lose their people when they lose their ability to be patient and to have self-control. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I just wanted to put that in there. No, it's absolutely true. And it's, it takes mindfulness in being patient for someone like myself. I think some people are more patient than others, but it does take a mindfulness approach for me to really look inward. And I, I like what he said here too, that I wrote down is that patience means to prioritize And if I don't slow down to prioritize what truly is the first step we need to take and not just to take a step, but what's the first best step we need to take, then we might just be taking a step that really doesn't make any sense and is just creating extra work. Mm. And that's something I've definitely, I'm guilty of that. I'm Mm. guilty of that. Wow. Kelly, what do you think of this? David talked about, you know, he's, he's a, it's a psychologist as well, an organizational psychologist. So he's done the research. He talks about emotional contagion. So the emotions that we are giving off <laughs> as leaders, they're going to rub off on people. So if we're anxious, well, guess what? Other people are going to be anxious. And this is really important because the more stress and anxiety we feel and we're passing that on to our team members, the less options we see. In other words, we can't broaden our view to pick up other possibilities. Bam! I thought that was so powerful. Oh, that is, that's really good. And, and this is where I relate that with is one of the 21 laws of irrefutable leadership is the law of magnetism. As a leader, if we are impatient, we don't attract what we want. We attract who we are. And when we are attracting people on our team, like we're attracting more impatience to the situation instead of balancing ourselves with people that bring what we don't have. And that's, that's kind of how I looked at that as well, is if we are not acting with patience in those situations, that we're just going to create more impatience in a situation. Yeah, yeah. I can't help, but I just, I'm going to say it out loud. One of my best qualities, that, well, one of the, the best leadership qualities that I keep teaching leaders and coaching leaders on is humility. And I just see, I see such a connection, such alignment between patience and being a humble leader. I don't know what your thoughts on that, but I just sometimes it's hard, it's hard to be patient because we, we're running around thinking that the world revolves around us. Absolutely. And think about with leading through crisis over the past eight months is so many leaders are just 
it's good. We have to take action. Like that's key. And that was what he was referring to. It's not, not taking action, but it's, it's active, not waiting, but acting with patients. So we don't get the teams around us stressed out as well. And that's where the emotional well-being plays in, in the workplace is we're feeding that emotional well-being. And what I've learned to do through crisis, you know, that we've all experienced is really act with gratitude. And I know David referenced that a lot. And that slows me down to have more patience when something's not moving as fast as I want it to. Yeah. I go inward and, and I think about what, what is working right and what am I grateful for in this situation and displaying that leadership with the people around me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I want to ask you to leave us with one final thought about what you heard from David or your own thoughts. And I'm going to do the same as well. And then we'll wrap up this baby and send it off. So here's what came up for me is that there's two sides of leadership, the task side and the relational side, right? And patience, he says, helps across both. And I really thought about that. That's so true. And he said that it amplifies the already positive things that we are doing as leaders. So if we're really good at the task side, patience is going to make that even better. And if you're already good on the relational and the people side and you take care of your people, patience, you're probably already doing that. Let's just admit it. But patience is going to help make you an even better leader. And so basically, David said that without patience, there's no relationship between being a visionary leader and a leader that collaborates well. So those are my final thoughts. And I, I wrote down something you said. It, it's reciprocal interdependence. That, that I think that's where that collaboration and patience combine as well. And it is meeting people where they're at. But I really love how we talked about being purposeful and measuring twice, cut once. And just truly, just, it's going back to that being thoughtful in how we approach it. And looking at the perspective of the potential of different lenses that we're working alongside of, not everybody sees it the same way as we do. So just acting with that intentionality, that more patience and being persistent in more patience. That's all we got for you this week. She is the wonderful Kelly Merbler. Kelly, if people want to learn more about you, where can they go? Definitely on LinkedIn, Kelly Merbler, and then www.kellymerblerco.com. My special thanks again to Kelly for sitting in with me in what we hope will be a new post-interview commentary format. And also thanks to David Celeste one more time for joining us earlier. And thank you, Love in Action Nation, for being here and spreading the Love in Action movement. And we would be grateful if you could share it with others. Visit the archives to the show and dig into other great conversations with the world's top thought leaders and experts. And you can find them on my website at marcelschwantes.com. Finally, if you or your company would like to sponsor episodes of the Love in Action podcast, let's chat. Find me on my website or hit me up on LinkedIn, Marcel Schwantes. Next week, I sit down with Michael Kanick to discuss his new book, Ruthless Consistency. Until then, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Try it and be convinced.